episode I'd like to talk about thoughts, in particular the nature of a thought. So what is a thought? You know, we've been talking about using thoughts, questioning thoughts, when in truth we are thinking about thinking, but we haven't really looked at what a thought is. And this actually relates to our sense of identity, to our deepest sense of self. For the most part, We believe, we think, that we are the thinker, that the thoughts we experience arise from ourself, somehow. And this is what we need to question in understanding what a thought is. And you can do this very easily. I recommend you do this every day, many, many times. I'm still doing it. (laughs) I still need to do it. Because the idea that our thoughts are our own is so convincing. But I'm here to prove to you That is not the case. So for example, if you were to choose at this moment to stop thinking, you know, say our thoughts are our own. Let's say we are the source of thoughts. They arise somehow from us. Well, if that were the case, just like you can make a fist or open your fist, you should be able to think or not think if that were the case. So Do you know what thoughts you're going to have before you have them? Do you know what thoughts you'll have and when you're going to have them? So when you choose to stop thinking, what you're going to realize is thoughts continue to enter your mind. You know, then you ask that question. Do I know what thoughts will come into my mind before they come into my mind? Do I know when thoughts will come into my mind? It's so obvious, it's so peculiar, that we've never really given this much attention before, that we don't know where our thoughts come from. So I want to ask you, has there ever been a time in which a screen appeared before your mind with all the possible thoughts that you could have at this moment, and you selected one? Like, as far as I'm aware, at least for myself, that has never happened. The truth is I become aware of a thought the moment that I have it. In fact, as I'm speaking to you now, I hear my own voice. I speak as the thoughts come to me. I don't know what I'm going to say. (laughs) I really don't know what I'm going to say. I hear it. I observe it happening. And so, in many ways, when we meditate as an observer, so when we're practicing the essence of mindfulness, we sit passively observing all things. You know, we observe the sensations in our body, we observe the sounds around us, we observe what we see, we notice thoughts and feelings. All the while, all these things appear and disappear before us. There is an awareness in which thoughts and feelings appear and disappear. There's no thought that's with us every moment of the day. There's no feeling that is with us every moment of the day. There's no sight or sound that's with us every moment of the day. 
no sensation in the body that we're aware of every moment of the day. But the fact there's awareness, awareness of something, at all times there is an awareness of something. The awareness isn't changing, but the things that we're aware of do change. So what is a thought? As far as I can tell, a thought is a thing, like every other thing. You know, when I turn my head and I see different things in the room, I just, I just perceive them. I merely perceive those things. And when you sit passively and listen, you don't know what sounds you'll hear. You don't know when you'll hear them. And you have no choice but to hear sounds. Well, when you try to meditate and you try to do, as I said in the beginning, to stop thinking, what you're going to discover is you can't. That you notice thoughts. You continually notice them. In this way, a thought is just like a sound. It's arising spontaneously, and it is perceived. So, for this reason, sometimes I describe the mind as like a sensory organ, like the ears or eyes. The mind perceives thoughts. The mind perceives feelings. I have no experiential knowledge, or even scientific explanation, which would suggest I think thoughts that I am the source of thoughts. So this line of reasoning is essential in our realizing the nature of ourself. So we're talking here about enlightenment. This is what enlightenment's about. Understanding the nature of identity. Who and what am I? And it's easy enough for us to question conceptual things like, is being white or male or black or female or being raised Christian or Muslim or being Canadian or Australian? Are these things part of my identity? In what way? Are they fundamental to my character? Are they lasting? Was I born that way? Will I die that way? In what context do those aspects of our identity matter? Well, they're all relational, you know. We're white in reference to someone who is black. We're male in reference to someone who is female. And these are, these are very conceptual senses of identity. So barring that, when we meditate and put all those things out of mind, what sense of self do we continue to experience? Does everyone experience worldwide? We all have the sense that we, are th- that we are the thinker, that we are the source of our thoughts. That sense of individuality, that I'm an independent entity in an external world, that I am inside and the world is outside. This fundamental aspect of our sense of self, that we are inside and there's an outside, and that we think thoughts, that the thoughts are our own, that our feelings are our own, somehow ours, creation. And even I've said in previous episodes that our thoughts and feelings are our own. And that perspective is useful in taking responsibility. That perspective leads us in a positive direction. But what I'm talking about now goes beyond all of that. I'm talking about the search for truth. 
the ultimate truth. Who and what am I? What is the source of thought? What is a thought? Who does it belong to? Is there any free will? Who controls these things, if anyone? Where does it all come from? It, do things have a beginning? Do they have an end? So this is what we begin to explore once we have some understanding of what a thought is. Until we really question what a thought is. You know, we get caught up in philosophies, beliefs. But once you see that a thought is just a thought, no better or worse or different in nature than any other thought, philosophies will lose their meaning. So, for example, a chair can be made of wood, and a knife can also be made of wood. And a chair can support you, and a knife could be used to chop vegetables or stab someone, you know? These objects have different functions, but they're made of the same material. So similarly, hateful thoughts and loving thoughts are made of thought. They have the same nature. They're made of the same substance. They, they are ideas. These are ideas. And in that sense, they're the same, but they perform different functions. So in our search for truth, we're often looking for a way of thinking that's more true than some other way of thinking, some idea that's more real than some other idea. You know, our ideology, our religious or spiritual beliefs or scientific beliefs, we are looking for some superiority, some evidence that this idea is the absolute truth. But when we look at the nature of thoughts and ideas and see that they are mere phenomena appearing to a mind that just witnesses them, like it witnesses sounds, we begin to see that they couldn't possibly have more value than one another. They have different functions. So this changes everything when you have this realization of what a thought is or begin to glimpse this, is that you see that thoughts in themselves don't have value unless they have a positive effect. You know, the truth needs to be productive. There'd be no sense in knowing what the truth is if it didn't lead to freedom, if it didn't fulfill our desires. It wouldn't have a purpose. And lucky for us, the truth does fulfill those things. And how does it do that? Well, all of our joy and suffering revolves around ourself. You know, there's a sense of I am here experiencing happiness. I am here experiencing unhappiness. So when we look at what I is, you know, the concept of ourselves being male or female, young or old, when our sense of identity begins to break away from these concepts, because in meditation we understand, I passively observe these ideas. These ideas change. But there's some sense of myself ever present from one moment to the next. You know, when you're a child, you experience being a child. As an adult, you experience being an adult. So there's something there experiencing that. You're not a child. You're not an adult. There's something else there experiencing that, observing that. Just like the thoughts are observed by something. What is that? 
So when we explore our identity by questioning thoughts, what a thought or idea is, and have the experience in meditation that thoughts and ideas appear and disappear and change over time, our sense of self becomes very simple. It shifts towards presence, towards a being, towards the simple fact that there's awareness. And soon that becomes the only thing we're confident about. When you realize you're not male or female, that this is a concept existent in the mind, then no one, you can't be offended when people criticize men or women. You don't feel offended when someone says something negative about men because you are a man. You don't feel offended when someone says something negative about women because you're a woman. You no longer have these reactions because you understand these are ideas appearing in their mind. They're having opinions about opinions about opinions. It seems like a jump, um, a misunderstanding of a thought as mere phenomena. And it's not that easy to understand despite its simplicity. This is, as I said in the beginning, I recommend that you do this over and over. You need to passively observe the fact that thoughts arise spontaneously without any choice on your part, that you are observing them, that you have always observed them. They only have power when you believe them to be superior to some other thought, that this thought is more true than some other one. The real truth is that they are equal. The real truth is that thoughts are functional only, that they don't represent any fundamental truth. Thoughts produce feelings. Thoughts produce actions. Those actions have consequences in the world. That's the only truth. So when our sense of self is simplified by this realization that we're not a thought, we're not a concept, I'm not a man because that's just an idea. You know, fundamentally, that's something passing in the mind. The more simple our sense of self becomes, the more invulnerable we become to changing conditions, to the opinions of others. And one of the first things that happens is that you stop having an opinion of yourself. So when this happened to me, through practicing as Eckhart taught in The Power of Now, and I first had this glimpse, oh my God, a thought is just a thing. I am not the thinker, as he says. That's the way he puts it. I began a very rapid transformation in my sense of self. And the first thing I noticed was I no longer had opinions about myself. I no longer felt good or bad about myself. And in short time, I never felt any pride or shame again because I understood that even my ideas are not really my own. They're just appearing spontaneously. So this touches on something that they teach in Buddhism called, I think it's sometimes called dependent arising. And it's very simple, really. Science tells us that all existent things come from previously existent things. You know, the earth is made of stardust. So everything in this world had been something else. The water becomes vapor, becomes the trees, becomes wood, becomes this, becomes that. But it's just a transformation um, along a line of cause and effect, an inheritance of sort. 
So in a similar way, although we believe our thoughts are our own, that they're unique and arise from some sense of free will, how does that happen? Can a thought arise from nothing? Can something come from nothing? Maybe. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it defies most basic reasoning. And it would seem that everything we know is someone taught us in some way. It was observed through experience. We don't know anything outside of our personal experience. So all of our ideas are inherited by our parents, our community, which were inherited by others. And they have changed through experience. But everything within the mind, all ideas in the mind, are limited. The, all the perspectives the mind could take are limited based on your personal experience. And so no idea in the mind could ever see the way things are, could ever understand all the perspectives, because it, it does not possess all the information. And the good thing is that we don't need to. To find peace of mind, we only need to realize this mystery, that things are spontaneous, that thoughts and feelings arise due to previously existent causes and conditions. And once we realize, like I said, that thoughts do not differ in nature, but in function only, our mind begins to work with us and not against us in seeing things as beautiful, finding the perfection in all things. Once the mind realizes experience is imagined, then we get better at imagining Imagining a new world, the kind of world that we want to live in. You know, I know it may not seem as simple as that, but that is my experience, that understanding the nature of thought makes the mind very flexible, and you access powers that you never knew before. You know, believing that you need a reason to be happy prevents you from being happy for no reason. But through this understanding that feelings come from thoughts, that no thought is true, it's just imagined, you can feel happy now for no reason. So what I want you to take away <laughs> from this rather rambling episode is that I need you to be curious about what a thought is don't think you know. <laughs> That's just another thought. The only way to know what a thought is, is to just observe it. Where it comes from. Where it goes. So that is the practice of self-inquiry. And it's also the practice of seeking truth. Of asking ourselves, what is this world really that we're living in? What is permanent among the impermanent? This is what we're looking for. And our spiritual quest is looking for that permanent among the impermanent. Is any thought permanent? Is the witness of the thoughts permanent? These are questions that you need to consider. And I hope you're interested enough 
to really think about it. Or, rather, watch your thoughts about it and see what happens. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.